Well, good morning, church. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I know we're going to get to the ladder in a second. It's going to be all right. I'll explain exactly why I have this eight-foot heavy ladder out here. It's actually really heavy. Uh, but my name is Miles, and I get to walk and do life with many of our students here, our teenagers here at TC3. And so uh, we are so thankful that you guys are here with us this morning. If you're watching online or if you're out on the lawn, we're so grateful that you're here with us today. Now, we're going to walk into this new series called Rise Above It. Uh, we're going to walk into this new series together, but I'm going to tell you now that there are going to be some uncomfortable moments as we move forward. And, uh, and I also want you to know that every uncomfortable moment that we're going to walk into together, um, you are definitely walking alongside of me and I'm walking alongside of you. And so, uh, so just know that, know that we're going to grow together. We're going to heal together through a lot of these topics and things of that sort that we're going to talk about today and next week. Now, this, this whole thing is going to deal with conflict and deal with division uh, within our relationships, within our society, within our culture. Um, and so as we begin to talk about that, I want, you to, I want you to just think for a moment that many of us, most of us probably sitting in this room have probably had a relationship, a friendship, or something like that that has gone awry within the past year and a half. Whether or not their stance on COVID was the same stance as yours, whether or not their stance on, on race or ethnic issues that are happening in our country were the same stance as yours, somewhere along the way, there's probably a relationship in your world that has been dismantled and been all kinds of messed up because of conflict. Everybody agree? Okay, awesome. All right, glad we're on the same page. So, so here's how we're going to walk through the next couple of weeks is we're going to learn how to address conflict, how to allow God to bring reconciliation to conflict and bring healing to us and to them uh, throughout this series and as we go through this series together. And so here's, here's the ladder and here's where our society is at today. Bear with me a little bit. So it seems as if we have a society that has tried to box us in on most issues. And on most issues, if you were to go down the ladder, there seems to be a split. There is a, there is a cultural, racial, a political divide. There's, there's not really much gray area for some, of these, for some of these issues. You're talking about Republicans versus Democrats. You're talking about pro-life versus pro-choice. You're talking about whether or not you support LGBTQ+. Uh, and if you don't support them, you don't love them. You're talking about pro-guns versus anti-guns. You're, you're talking about a plethora of different issues. And it seems as if our world has really, really, really tried to box us in and make us choose a side. We live in this this or that Instagram story type of, type of world, to be honest with you. And as we, as we deal with that, there are some of these issues that are black and white. Like we believe that a, a baby, the moment it is conceived is made in the image of God and we are to support and advocate for that child literally from the womb to the tomb. That is, that is in God's word, that's normal. It's black and white. There's also an issue or, or, or gray areas in there as well, but, but as it pertains to some of these issues that are black and white, we, we need to understand that even if they don't see eye to eye with us, that, that we should be able to sit at a table and commune with them. There needs to be that ability. There are some gray areas though that the world is like, no, you have to choose a side, and, and God's like, no, you don't, you don't necessarily have to. Like, you can be for police and for police reform. You can be 
for guns, I have the right to bear arms, and for, hey, I, I think there need to be some, some increased laws in our country. We can be for those things. But if we, if we begin to root ourselves in our ideologies, then what happens is as we climb the ladder, we grow further and further and further apart. There is no reconciliation. There is no resolution that happens when we anchor ourselves in our ideologies instead of in our identity in Jesus Christ. But, but when we seek first the things of heaven, and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, what happens is, is the ladder gets flipped. And we begin to anchor ourselves in Jesus, in our identity in him, and as we climb the ladder, we draw closer to Jesus, and somehow, some way, because of his blood, reconciliation begins to happen, and we begin to create the unity that the text of scripture talks about. Is that fair? And so, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about it. I, I made this statement in the, in the last service, and I'm gonna make it again because I really, I really do believe it. I really do believe that the enemy does not want us to talk about these things. We don't, we don't talk about them. They're, they're, they're kind of like, hey, we don't, we don't discuss this. The whole, like, we don't talk about Bruno type of thing. Like, it is, it is that that we live in. We don't discuss these issues, but but the text of scripture has solution to these issues. Why? Because these issues are literally in the text of scripture. And so we're gonna talk about it. We have to talk about it. We get to talk about it. And so let's, let's dive in into how the text of scripture brings resolution to these issues and allows us to fix our eyes on Jesus so that it's not about the conflict, it's more about connecting people to Jesus through the conflict. All right, and so Paul deals, deals with this issue in the church of Colossae. So the issue was that false teachers were urging the people to move further and further away from their Christian roots and to accept other religious ideas. These, mind you, were followers of Jesus, people in the church that were trying to make their ideologies the primary. And as a result, there was division, there was conflict within the body of Christ. And on one side, there were some who were living how they were taught to live with their identities anchored in Jesus. And on the other side, there were, there were those who weren't doing that. They were bragging about their ability to find ultimate spiritual fulfillment via their own devices, via their own programs, their own visions that they had had, that angels had given them. They were focused on, on rules and obeying different laws and observing certain days, aka they were seeking to be made whole while disconnected from the one who had already Already made them whole. It was all about them. And so Paul, in his letter, he attempts to do a few things with this church. He wanted to give them a solid theological foundation so that false teachings would no longer lead them astray. He wanted to remind them of the spiritual fulfillment that they already had in Jesus. And then he wanted to teach them how to biblically reconcile relationships that were broken because of ideological differences that had surfaced. And so as we walk into and through this series together and look at Paul's letters, I pray that we at the end of it all would know better how to address conflict, division, and ideological differences in a way that honors God, in a way that heals what's in us both past and present and maybe the other party, 
and in a way that makes the mission of connecting people to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ the main purpose, if we've strayed from that mission. And so our culture, and, and even us sometimes as followers of Jesus, we, we function like the people in Colossae. Remember, you're not going through this alone. I'm in this with you. They were trying to find worldly solutions to spiritual problems. And for them, it was like, hey, let us be made whole without the one who has already made us whole. Let us be made whole without Jesus. And for many of us, it's let's seek relational reconciliation without Jesus. Let's seek racial reconciliation without Jesus. Let's seek marital or political or financial reconciliation without Jesus. Hear me, we cannot fix what is broken without the healer. We cannot fix what is broken without the healer. And so reconciliation is this, is this beautiful word in the text of scripture that we see starting out throughout the book of Ephesians as Paul uses it to tell the Jews and the Gentiles, hey, hey, Jesus died on the cross and his blood has now reconciled you to the Father and also it has reconciled you to one another, aka the cross is bigger than forgiveness. The cross is about vertical forgiveness between our relationship and God and it is also, it is also reconciling us to one another. And so the cross is about vertical relationship with God, horizontal relationship right here on earth. And so what we get to do is, as Ephesians tells us, is it says, hey, you, you have had made, or Jesus has made peace for you with God and with everybody else which means that we aren't trying to make peace. We aren't trying to reconcile ourselves. Jesus already did that with his blood on the cross. He says, you are not trying to make peace. You are operating from a place of peace. When your life is hidden in Christ Jesus, you already have peace. You are operating in that. You're not trying to make it. You're not the inventor of it. Most of us are trying to make peace instead of trying, allowing Jesus to say, hey, I've already done that for you, operate from that place, which means that when we walk into uh, conflict, conflicting conversations, we know as we walk into them, all right, Jesus has already done the peace part. I just need to be who he's called me to be, which is have my identity rooted in him. And so Paul encourages the church in Colossae and us, that reconciliation is impossible without being connected to Jesus and having a biblical understanding of who he is. And that's what Paul provides for us. He starts in chapter two by identifying their problem. Colossians 2, 8 says this. If you have your, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. If you have the Version Bible app, you can follow along there as well. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. There's a group of us in, in this room that would probably consider ourselves spiritual. We come to church, we do the right things, we listen to worship music during the week, all of those types of things. But if we were to look ourselves in the mirror and we were to see ourselves through the lens of Christ, he would probably say, you are not my disciple. Why? Because we don't follow what he says, nor is the Bible, the text of scripture, the main authority in our life. We allow, we allow empty philosophies and, and high-sounding nonsense from people that have made more money than us and people that are more successful than us have a greater influence in what we do on a daily basis and how we respond to people in situations of conflict more than God. 
And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, have we been captured? Have we been captured by empty philosophies, by human thinking, or by the spiritual powers of this world? And what Paul does in verse 8 is he acknowledges the brokenness that exists in the relationship or the situation and why it exists. He calls out the false teaching that was on display and that it caused division in the body. And we too, we too were called to be honest. And we do that by being honest in two things, in our self-evaluation and by asking the honest questions. And so we, we got to get the awkwardness out of the way. Uncomfortable feelings soak in conflict, and it's, conflict isn't always a bad thing. Because what, what happens when conflict arises is it brings light to the issues, and no matter how comfortable they are, most times growth can happen in conflict and healing for us, both past and present. And so we all have a relationship somewhere in our world that probably remains at a, at a surface level because we don't want to drift into conversations that we know will be uncomfortable because we stand on two opposite sides of the ladder. And so we keep those conversations at a surface level. And God is calling most of us, hey, go deeper. This isn't about you. Be vulnerable. Embrace the uncomfortable. And what I know is that time and vulnerability foster intimacy. Most of the time, when, when, when my wife and I get in a, get in a, you know, a, a spiritual debate, an argument, what happens most of the time is my pride is attacked. And because my, my pride oftentimes is probably rooted in a, an identity issue that I have in myself that isn't what the text of scripture says about me. It's rooted in, a, in an ideal about who I am that Jesus doesn't say that I am. And that's what happens when most, with most of us as it, pertains to, as it pertains to friendships and relationships with family. We have these ideals, we have these ideologies, and our identities are anchored in these ideologies instead of Jesus. And so when somebody comes against it, we feel attacked because it's, it's, it's not this ideology crisis, it's an identity crisis that we're having. And so Jesus is like, if you anchor yourself in me, if your identity is encapsulated with who I've called you to be and who I say you are, then conflict will no longer be an issue. But as you climb the ladder and have your eyes fixed on me, it won't attack your identity because your identity is hidden in Jesus Christ. But to avoid relational conflict is to foster division. It develops this, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to play over here type of mentality. Again, the, the latter. It communicates that no other opinion matters except ours, not even God's. And so Paul pivots in verse nine from identifying the problem to pointing towards a solution. He says in verse nine, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so also, so you also are complete through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and authority. And so Paul begins to deal with this, with this common idea in the church that true spirituality was to be found by strict bodily disciplines, a.k.a. true spirituality was about what the individual could do, not what Jesus had already done. Paul says at the end of chapter two, he tells the Colossians, he says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. And that's why verses nine and 10, Paul reminds us that true spirituality is about what Jesus did on the cross through, his, through Jesus or what God did on the cross through Jesus. 
And when he rose from the dead on the third day, he won ultimate victory over death and hell and the grave. And then he perfectly fulfilled the law, so we don't have to keep it anymore. And as a result, when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are made complete in him. We are made whole in Christ. And the church in Colossians had to get their identity right before they could deal with the issues at hand, and so do we. Before we can deal with conflict in a way that honors God, in a way that heals, in a way that puts us back on mission, we have to have an understanding of who we are. And so often, reconciliation doesn't happen because we start with our ideologies instead of our identity in Jesus. We start with the secondary issues and we see them as primary issues. And we anchor ourselves into these ideals instead of anchoring ourselves into Jesus. And the truth is, our theology should shape our identity. Our identity should not shape our theology. But when we start with our identity, which is hidden in Jesus, it begins to produce a humility that says, you know what, my opinion, my opinion is not the only one. And you know what, even more so, my opinion is not always right. So I'm willing to hear, I'm willing to understand your perspective, but more importantly, what does God have to say about the issue? At that person's table, everybody has a seat. An individual with that perspective can invite all to come and commune with them. That's what Jesus did as he sat with tax collectors and he sat with sinners, people that the Pharisees and the religious elite wanted nothing to do with, Jesus would go to even if they had different perspectives than him and he calls us to do the same. There's this picture of, of, one of, our, of one of our leaders coming up and he's sitting with a group of young men uh, that, that honestly are from all types of different backgrounds. They have different perspectives uh, about life. They play different sports. They have different socioeconomic statuses. They are all different, but what binds them together is the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus's blood. And this is just an example of what it looks like to be in unity with the people of God and even the people that may have not connected to Jesus's life-changing power yet. Paul moves on to chapter three with our identity anchored in Christ Jesus. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When our identity is in Christ, we are humble enough to ask the most important question. God, how do you see the issue and how do you want to use this conflict for your glory and for your purpose? I don't ask that question often. If we were to, if we were to ask that question, to be, to be honest, the, the most subtle moments of conflict probably come at restaurants for many of us. They probably come in a Yelp review or a Google review. Anybody? Nobody left a review. I'm the only person that's left a bad Google review. Most of those moments would be taken care of if we were to ask God before we left the restaurant, all right, Lord, I'm upset. They didn't do what I asked them to do. I didn't get caught this meal. How can you get glory through this? What do you want to do in this? Would you rather me have a conversation with the manager while I'm here in a gentle and subtle way or would you allow me to lose my witness as I post something online so that I can never minister to this person ever again? All of us have sat 
in those seats. But if we were to ask the question, God, how do you see the issue? And how do you want to use this conflict for your glory and your purpose? If we were to ask that question, a lot of these things probably wouldn't exist. And so Paul reminds us here in verse 6 that since our identity is in Christ, we have citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, which means that we have access. We are to make our heavenly citizenship the guidepost for how we think and how we act, aka our behavior should make us easily identifiable. Anybody seen the new Obi-Wan Kenobi? Anybody? Yeah, it's really good. I'm not a huge like Star Wars fan, but I really enjoyed it. And in uh, Obi-Wan, there's a, there's a moment in the first episode where uh, the, the inquirers or the inquisitors, I don't know which one it is. Somebody corrected me at the first service. We're going to go with inquirers for now. So the inquirers are looking for the, the good guys. They're looking for the Jedis. The inquirers are the bad guys. They're trying to kill everybody. And so they go into this saloon to find this particular Jedi. And they're like, we know he's here. We've tracked him and they're like how did you track them and they're like through his acts of compassion through his acts of compassion we've been able to track down where this Jedi is and so and so what the lady does what the inquirer does is she takes a knife and she throws it at a random person in the saloon and the Jedi like stops it using his cool little Jedi mind tricks and he stops it and she's like gotcha you have to be compassionate it is it is who you are Their compassion made them easily identifiable. What makes us easily identifiable? Is it our acts of compassion? Is it how we enter into conflict with grace and humility in a way that honors God, in a way that heals us and them, in a way that keeps us on mission? Are we an easily identifiable type of people? And Paul doesn't leave us hanging there. He doesn't say, set your sights on the realities of heaven, peace. No, no, no. no. He doesn't doesn't say that. No, he he reiterates himself with a practical command in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, a.k.a. develop good habits. See, Paul reiterates the command, but he switches from the general seek to to a specific think. And this think isn't a mental or intellectual exercise. No, it's an exercise of the will. It's a habit of the mind that Paul is telling us to develop, aka keep thinking about the things of heaven. Be consistent in developing good habits. I love, I love walking and doing life with, with teenagers. It's like one of the most exciting things uh, in our worlds. But if you have, have a teenager or if you know of one, just ask them if they like sitting alone without their phone, without any music, without the TV, just alone in their room with their thoughts. Just ask them. Don't do it now, it's awkward. But just ask them. I'm willing to bet you that 90% of them would say no. And maybe some of us as adults would probably be in the same space because they haven't learned what it, what it looks like as the text of scripture commands us to take your thoughts captive. And so there are all kinds of negative thoughts about their identity and about who they are and whose they are that are flooding their minds and they don't know how to grab them and put them in alignment to what the text of scripture says and say, okay, that's not true. Jesus, this is true about me. And so usually what we have them do at least once a year is say, hey, grab it, grab an index card, come in this place, grab an index card, write every lie that you believe about yourself on this index card. And they do, they usually flood an index card, maybe even two. 
and they'll write all of these, all these lies on them. And then, and then we say, okay, we're gonna put up the truth of the text of scripture about who Jesus says you are on the screens. And so we'll, we'll put that up for them as well. And then we'll say, take, take that card that you wrote down on, take a new card and write down every truth in God's word that opposes what you wrote down on this card. And then we tell them every single day, take that card out before you go to school or before you go to work and read out loud every single truth on that card until you begin to believe it. And they usually come up to us and they'll say, well, how long do I have to do this for? And usually my wife and I will say back, well, how long did you believe the lies for? Here's the thing. Relational conflicts are persistent. Pride that comes up in our ideologies are persistent. Division within our community, country, economically, socially, politically, racially are persistent. But Paul says if we want to triumph over worldly challenges, then we need a consistent heavenly mindset to see the things that God sees and to see them as God sees them then we will be empowered to step into conflict with the attitude of Christ Jesus. And so here's the deal. Before we get this right out there, we gotta get this right in here. I don't know if it's in your own personal worlds or even with somebody within the body here, but here's what Philippians 3, 15 and 16 says. It says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. We must hold on to the progress we have already made. And so here's, here's the deal. Paul is saying, hey, you're probably gonna disagree on some point, but if your eyes are fixed on Jesus along the path as you're going and you're seeking him, God will make it plain to you. He'll explain to you his heart for the issue as long as your identity is anchored in him. Here's why this, this, this thing is so important. There's a, there's a quote in the TC330 documentary that I love. It's my favorite quote of the entire thing, and it's by Joanne Miller. She says, we are going to have a flood of people. She's talking about this area. She's talking about the change that is coming to this place that you and I both see. And then she follows it up with, we're gonna have a flood of people. We're gonna have a flood of people coming to know Jesus. And that's the truth. But that flood of people are going to come from different places, in different spaces, with different ideals, with different ethnicities, with different backgrounds, with different perspectives. And what God is calling us to do is to prepare right now to enter into conflicting conversations now so that we can know before they get here, how to honor him, how to heal what is both past and present, and how to connect them to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. What a guidepost this place will be when the flood of people come here and they come into this place because of the heart that we've had for them. And this place is the place where people of all different perspectives and all different color skins and all different color ideals can sit. Why? Because of the bond of the blood of Jesus Christ that has brought them in here. I can only imagine what God is going to do with, in, and through this place by using us. And he's like, okay, prepare now. And so here's, here's how we can prepare today. Like I said earlier, I'm sure most of us have a relationship somewhere, somehow, that probably has been broken in the last year and a half that we know God has called us to step into. 
that we know God is calling us to probably have an uncomfortable conversation in. And we don't want to, but maybe we can take the first step by just simply praying about it and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to go about that? God, can you do what you've already done and begin to make peace in their hearts and in my hearts and begin to create healing in my life too? If, if that's you, if you wanna commit today to even just start praying about it and then eventually walk into that conversation, I wanna just ask as a, as a sign of commitment that you would raise your hand today. Amen. Now maybe, maybe you're in this room and, and, and you are, are seeking, and you're trying to figure out what this whole Jesus thing is about and you're like, man, I, I, I have an identity but, but it's not in Jesus. I don't even know what that means or what that is. Here's the deal right? God created you and I in his image. We believe that. But what happened was sin entered into the picture. And as a result, even though we're still made in his image, our perspective of God and our perspective of ourselves was distorted, messed up, jacked up, tore up from the floor. And so God, God says, God says, hey, I'm going to set this standard, this law for you. And he's like, I know you can't, I know you can't reach the standard and, and our relationship is broken as a result of sin. And so to get relationship back with you, I'm going to send my son who's going to perfectly, perfectly live and keep the standard of the law. And when you accept his death, burial and resurrection on the cross, your life is now hidden in him so that when I see you, I no longer see you. I now see my son, Jesus. And now what's true about Jesus is true about you. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about us, it's about what Jesus did. And he said, now you are reconciled back to the Father and now you're also reconciled back to the family. Everybody. If you want that relationship and you want your identity to be anchored in Christ and it never has been, I would love to pray with you today and it's a simple prayer that walks you into that relationship. And so I'm just gonna go by section by section. If you wanna walk into a relationship with Jesus over here, just raise your hand for me. Right here. Amen. Here. Here, here, here. Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, please come. Take control of my life from this day forward. I confess of my sin to you, and I trust that Jesus, his perfect life was enough. Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you would fill me I ask that you would be my guide and my direction from this day forward, in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you right now for everything that you're doing, for the fact that you are equipping us and molding us and preparing us for something that we don't even know is coming yet. But God, we trust. We trust in your plan and we trust that you are bigger. You're bigger than conflict, you're bigger than division and we speak your name, Jesus, into it all right now. And we ask Jesus that you would begin to mend what can be broken. And so Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. And give a round of applause for the people that connected to Jesus today. We're gonna sing this next song together. Uh, and as we, as we sing this next song, I'm just gonna ask that you would pray for the people that you raised your hand for as we sing this song, as we fix our eyes on Jesus.